Well, I was um, thinking back uh, recently to, uh, to Good Friday 2003. At the uh, FIC churches, that's the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, the group of churches we belong to, the FIC churches in Oxford held a joint service on Good Friday 2003, and there were two of us, not people you understand, there were two churches at Woody Road and Magdalen Road. We actually met in Magdalen Road's church building, which I think you probably agree isn't massive. Well, last Good Friday there were five different churches, and we certainly could have met, couldn't have met in your church building. Last Sunday, Grace Church Killington met for the first time. It's great again this morning to hear plans for Town Church Bicester. You're looking across from uh, North Oxford as I do. Can I say I'm hugely encouraged at what's going on here? You know, to see Cowley Church Community planted a couple of years ago, to see the plans to move in Bicester to hear ongoingly of the Irving Project and the plans to bless the local community. It is encouraging. It is wonderful what's going on here. And it's worth noting that actually that isn't limited to FIC churches in Oxford. Some of folk from uh, Woody Road have ended up partnering some folk from Headington Baptist in forming Wheatley Community Church. Uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, St. Ebbs moved back into their church building because they'd done a significant project because it wasn't big enough for the number of people coming along. There's good things happening across Oxford. And of course all of this is against the cultural backdrop that apparently the church is dying. It's exciting, isn't it? As you look back over the history. Now, I hope that encouraged you. It might be that you're here this morning and you're just sort of looking into Christianity. And actually the question would be, what's going on? When the church is supposed to be dying, why are new churches popping up? And why are those churches growing? Or it might be that you're one of those who've moved to Oxford recently and you're trying out churches. I hope it's encouraging to be here. There is good stuff happening. Or maybe you've, maybe you've been uh, around for a while, and actually it's an opportunity just to look back and be thankful. This is what has happened over the last few years. But the question I want to focus on this morning is this. What are the lessons that we should learn What are the lessons as we look back on that period of growth? And how should those lessons impact us for the future? As we think about Kidlington, as we think about Bicester, what should we learn? Because actually drawing the wrong lessons from a period of growth can be really dangerous. And find that out, you just have to look at what happens in Corinth. You see, the church in Corinth had experienced real growth. Indeed, in the recent past, it hadn't even existed. The Apostle, church, uh, the Apostle Paul had arrived in Corinth, this coastal town, known for its uh, various temples, for all the different uh, ways in which gods were worshipped. And Paul simply arrived with a message about the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross. He was terrified. Actually, God assured him, I will save people here, and sure enough, he did. And so as Paul preached his message, so a church springs up. And then shortly afterwards, Apollos comes along and he helps the church to grow. So you have a flourishing church in Corinth when previously there'd been nothing. But here's the question, how were they to view it? Because the Corinthians looked at this growth and through precisely the wrong lesson. So people were saying, Paul, he was just awesome. 
You know, the way he came to the town and he preached when nobody believed in Jesus, isn't that amazing, all that Paul did? And I was just saying, really? Actually, Apollos is the guy. You know, I, I was really struggling as a Christian. And Apollos was the one who came along and helped me to grow. He, he was much more sensitive than Paul. Why do you obsess about Paul? No, no, Paul was the guy. He was the guy who started it off. And it sounds all quite light-hearted, but actually it becomes quite a big issue. And the church is divided between the Paul people and the Apollos people. Paul says in verse 3, there's jealousy and quarrelling. And the fact that the church has looked at growth and become obsessed about these human leaders shows actually they're worldly in their thinking rather than godly. It's an indication that they've got the wrong perspective on this growth that has happened. So Paul needs to correct them. And actually we need the right perspective, both on growth that happens in the past and actually, as we have a vision for the future. And the way Paul addresses it is by using an image, and it's an agricultural one. You are God's field, he says in verse 9. Now, before we get into the detail of the passage, let me make a point about the image. A field is a place where stuff grows. That's about the limit of my agricultural knowledge. <laughs> a field is a place where stuff grows. Grows. We don't do fields in North Oxford, but I do know it's a place where things grow. And there is the assumption throughout the New Testament that the church will be a place of growth. Happens in two ways. It happens as Christians grow and mature. This is the, uh, the period when often people arrive in Oxford and arrive as newcomers to the church. But last Sunday we uh, had to say farewell to a couple. They've been with us about seven years and they're now heading off to the States. And actually it was great just to be able to look back. Seven years ago they didn't know each other when they arrived, they're now married. But actually the guy in particular, I remember just arriving and he was a Christian but an incredibly young one. He was doctrinally all over the place, not really sure what it meant to live as a Christian. In the end, he led most of our youth group, led a home group, and it was just great actually looking back, thinking, see how he grew in those times. You know, how he flourished and grew and became a warm-hearted, servant-hearted Christian. It was just such a joy. I hope, actually, that for some of us who are arriving in Oxford at the moment, that'll be our experience. But the years ahead will be years of flourishing. Actually, I hope if you've been around here 30 years, there's still an element of growth coming on. Because actually the church is a field, it's a place where growth takes place. But I think the assumption as well is that churches will grow numerically. You think of the, uh, the parable that the Lord Jesus told, that parable of the uh, mustard seed. Do you remember that tiny little mustard seed? which grows and grows and grows and grows to become the biggest tree in the field. It's come true, by the way, hasn't it? Because if you think about the number of people Jesus told that parable to, it was roughly 12 plus a few hangers-on. And today, of course, there are millions around the world praising the Lord Jesus. That parable's come true. The mustard seed has grown to be the biggest tree in the field. And that continues as people are added to the church. There is an assumption, I think, of growth normally in the church. That's why actually what's happened in Oxford isn't a surprise. It's why I'm encouraged that actually as we think about uh, the church here growing, there's both the desire for bigger premises that can bless the local community here and to reach out to Killington, to Bristol, whatever. That sounds like normal church growth to me. 
because the mustard seed grows to being the biggest tree in the field. But how does it happen? If growth is the normal experience in a field, how does it happen? And the key section is verses 5 to 9 within this passage. What I want to do is just overview them and then draw out at two key lessons. Because the question is, how should, Paul, how should the Corinthians really view Paul and Apollos? Well, they are, verse 5, only servants through whom you came to believe. These Corinthians are admiring Paul and Apollos. Oh, they're awesome. And Paul says, no, no, we're just servants. We just did the task that the Lord gave us. Or, or another way, we're just channels. We're those through whom you came to believe. You, know, you came to believe in the Lord Jesus. He's the ultimate one. <laughs> we're just the channels, if you like, the taps you turn on. We're just servants, we're just channels, we're those who work together with a common purpose, he says. Verse 8. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and will be those who are ultimately rewarded. They will each be rewarded according to their own labour. Servants, channels, people working together will ultimately receive a reward. But finally, the key point of verse 7 neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And so the two key principles that Paul is teaching, for how the Corinthian church grew, actually how any church will grow, the limited role of human beings and the vital role of God. Those are the two things. We'll look at each in turn. So let's consider the limited role of humans. What part do humans play in the growth of the church? Well, essentially, humans are God's servants doing the tasks that he gives. You know, as I look back on Woody Road over the last few years, new building, the planting, we're doing baptisms and so on, it has involved individuals doing things. Yes, some have been up front, leaders. Most important work often happens behind the scenes with the immense amount of admin taking place. There are plenty of people with no official title, just welcoming, getting alongside, caring. Actually, one of the privileges we've had recently is baptising a number of young people. And often, as I've sort of met with them, they've been talking about well, what it was taught on a Sunday morning or on the youth groups and the vital role that your children's youth workers do. It'll involve all kinds of individuals like that. Actually, to be at Woody Road, we often have the blessing of receiving good people, and what's contributed to our growth has been the good work that other churches have done elsewhere. It's individuals doing a whole heap of stuff. And as you think about the future, the team in Vista will end up working pretty hard, doing the different tasks that God has given, whether it's the stuff Langston's doing or the better people who are doing other things. <laughs> and actually, I know some of the hard work that's gone into the Irving one. Again, individuals working hard. And there will be a need, as your harvest field expands, to include all of that for new workers. You know, it might be that you're in the position of just arriving in Oxford and you're in that, where do I settle at church? Can I encourage you, when you do settle, and here's a very good place to settle, do with that mentality of how do I work? Can I be honest, the idea of going to a field to spectate people sowing is quite a weird thing. <laughs> not, a, not a great tourist activity. There's the assumption we work, we serve. 
But as we do that, we are merely servants. We never get to be heroes. We're simply the servants doing the task that God gives. And if we know that we're servants, well, we'll be able to have a common purpose. That's actually why pitting Paul and Apollos against each other was quite a weird thing to do. Because Paul and Apollos didn't want their rival parties following them. Paul and Apollos were saying, we're united with a common purpose. What matters is that we work such that people know the Lord Jesus and grow in him. That's what matters to us. We're not about ego. We're just servants with a common purpose. Come on, if you have that perspective, you can be pretty relaxed about who gets the credit. Because who cares, frankly? You know, often it happens, doesn't it, in church? You may be busy doing a whole load of stuff that goes unseen. And I know the temptation can be a degree of bitterness. But in the end, it really doesn't matter. Because we have a common purpose. Incidentally, not only do we not do ego as individuals, we don't do ego as a church either. Oxford is a funny place because actually there's so many good options in terms of churches. And often people, maybe in the position at the moment, you sort of do the rounds. What often happens around sort of November is church leaders often get together and say, well, how many of you got this autumn? <laughs> and it's easy to feel crushed as St. Ebbs needs to build their second balcony. <laughs> but in the end, who cares, actually? Because we have a common purpose. We don't do ego, either as individuals or as a church, either. Because we have a common purpose that the Lord Jesus is glorified. We're just servants with a common purpose. And we do it knowing that there's ultimately a reward. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. We're not really going to get into it, but that's where the rest of chapter 3 goes. As Paul says, one day there will be the day when we'll appear before the Lord. And the fire will test our work. Some will survive into eternity, other stuff will be burnt up. And I think in context, the, the issue is this. Work done not for ego, but for the sake of the Lord and his glory will survive into eternity. And won't that be great? I mentioned some of those we baptised recently and the influence of youth leaders on them. I'm just thinking, I love the image actually of those youth leaders in the new creation with those young people they discipled, now older, but there. Oh, that'll dare be good. Some of you doing hard work on the buildings at the moment. Can you imagine that day when there's somebody from this local area who stumbled into a new building that you spent hours on? And they heard the gospel and they're there. I'll tell you, it'll be worth it there. Let's be honest, sometimes gospel work is just hard work. You know, I think of some of you, you, know, you spend a long day at work and then you head out to lead the home group, to lead the youth group, to go to another committee meeting. Or others, just that hard work of parenting, trying to point your, your children to the Lord Jesus when you're shattered. And that's hard work. Gospel ministry is hard work, but as we do it with a common purpose, simply as servants, it will be rewarded. It is worth it. This is your vision Sunday. This is God's field. And the call within God's field is for workers, doing the tasks God has given. That's a great vision to have. 
But on its own, it's not going to be enough. Because Paul, as well as saying that humans have this role, you see the vital role of God. The vital role of God. I've lived in urban areas all my life, so to be honest, I am still astonished by the agricultural process. It is remarkable, isn't it? Somebody sows a seed, and then it rains, or somebody's out there with a watering can, and then there's a whole field of corn. Have you ever thought, how on earth does that happen? (laughs) From this little seed, it just happens, it grows. I wonder, have you ever thought, how on earth does the church happen? I mean, think about it. Paul arrives in this great town of Corinth. And all he does, basically, is say to people, this executed criminal can change your life. Put your trust in him. I mean, it's so weak, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so go to Corinth. Here's this message about an executed criminal. How on earth does a church crop up from that? Well, it happens as God gets to work in people's hearts. You know that message that sounds weird? It's true, you know. It really is the answer to your heart's deepest longings. It really is the message you need for your death. And as God's Spirit got to work in people's hearts, so people became Christians, and a church came into being. It's the same today. I don't know if it's ever struck you just how absurd most of what we've done this morning is. I mean, let's be honest, we've sung to somebody we've never met, we've prayed to somebody we've never seen, and you're currently listening to somebody tell you about a town millions of miles away 2,000 years ago, and that's supposed to be life-transforming. It is slightly absurd what we've done this morning, isn't it? And yet many people would testify it's only life-changing. Why? Because God uses it. Because God gets to work in people's hearts and makes the church grow. He does it. It's completely his work. I love another one of Jesus' parables. It's actually next to the uh, parable of the mustard seed, where Jesus says this, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not know how. Yeah, we do our stuff, we witness beyond the church, we do our work of discipling in the church, and then we go to sleep. And it grows. That's what happens. You know, I started off our time together, you know, thinking about the recent growth in our churches in Oxford. What explains it? I mean, at one level you could talk about a raft of individuals who've done a load of stuff. And yet in the end, and ultimately, it is the work of God. That's what explains it. I hope that makes us want to praise the Lord, actually. You know, for those of us who've lived through it, it just sort of goes on and on. But as you look back, our churches are significantly bigger than they were 15 years ago. Including a number of people who've come to the Lord Jesus. It's his work. And we praise him for it. But recognising that does mean we need to rethink a whole load of stuff. The church is not a human institution. The church is fundamentally a place where God is at work. I wonder what difference it would make to us if we thought about the church in that light. 
The church is a place where God is at work. Because it is so easy to think of it at human level. Here are the rotors. Here's what I need to do. And so church becomes a place where I simply do stuff. Alternatively, we have our opinions about what other people are doing and what we like and what we dislike, and that becomes all-consuming. And it is simply at that human level, rather like it was for the Corinthians. I wonder, how do you think about church? Do you think about church as this is the place where God is at work? This is his temple, to pick up the other image of 1 Corinthians 3. This is where he dwells and is present. I spoke uh, a number of years ago, actually, to a retired missionary couple um, in Woody Road, and they'd seen quite a lot of stuff around the world. So I asked them this question. Come on, you've been around the world, you've been a long number of years. What's your perspective on the church in this country? And their comment was this, lots of good stuff, but too much of man, not enough of God. As one of those phrases that's sort of eight, nine years on still slightly rings into my head because I know I can go there. It essentially saying what matters in the church are my plans, my strategies, how I put stuff together, when actually he's the one who makes it grow. And we're completely... I'm utterly dependent on him. You know, there are times I need to be better at saying, oh God, won't you do what only you can do? Yeah, I can plant, others can water, but Lord, won't you do what only you can do? One man who knew the reality of that was Martin Luther. This is one of my favourite Reformation quotes. He explains how Europe was turned upside down in these words. I simply taught and preached God's word, otherwise I did nothing. And while I slept and drank Wittenberg beer, I told you I liked it, but while I slept and drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, the word greatly weakened the papacy. I did nothing, the word did it all. He said, looking back, God working through his word, that's what did it. The final role of God, he makes things grow. Now, as I draw to a close, let me try and make some application. Can I just say this? There might be one or two here and, and you're still at that kind of looking into Christianity stage. How do you explain the church? I want to explain what explains this random group of people is nothing less than the fact that there is a God and he's at work. It, it may even be, to be honest, that you're sensing that actually. There's something that keeps drawing you back and you're not quite sure what it is. Maybe it is that there's a God and he's even at work in you. Because actually only he draws all of us together. And that weak message of the Lord Jesus dying on the cross, it really is the answer to your heart's deepest longings. There is a God and he is at work. Can I say this to those who've just arrived in Oxford? I really hope for two things. I hope you'll become workers in the harvest field. And I hope that as you do that, you'll encounter God that actually your time in Oxford would be nothing less than an encounter with God who lives amongst his people. And that it would be a time of flourishing and growth for you. But here's the last thing for all of us. Here's the question. I wonder what difference it would make if we saw the church as a place where God is at work. I suspect it would lead to greater thanksgiving, that when good stuff happens, we don't just say, what did we get right, but what did he do? 
And I suspect it will also mean we have a, a greater sense of expectancy as we come. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? How's he going to grow us? Because this is his field and he is at work. And what of church planting? Yeah, people have been asking me, you know, Andy, how do you feel about Grace Church, Kidlington? And, and to be honest, the answer I generally give is, I'm excited and terrified. <laughs> we feel stretched. We're weak. We're fragile. We haven't enough money. We haven't enough people. And in the midst of that, the verse that I keep coming back to is this one. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. To be honest, that's always true. It just feels even more true at the moment. (laughs) Unless the Lord comes and does stuff, unless the Lord helps us, unless the Lord provides for us, we're wasting our time. But if he does, well, there's not much better work to be involved in. You see, it's okay to feel weak and fragile. My guess is the best of guys will feel that my guess is the rest of you will feel that as they go out. Can I say that's okay? Because it will mean if good stuff happens, it's him who's done it. Because it won't be you. He's the one who grows the church. And that's why it's okay to feel weak. Because he takes a weak message and grows the church with it. So what do we do in the light of this? We work. We do the tasks he's given us to do, we use the gift, and we work with one purpose, without ego, simply as servants, knowing he'll reward us. We pray, Lord, we're doing what we can do. Lord, please, won't you do what only you can do? Please grow this. And then we go to sleep. We relax and go to sleep. Because actually, in the end, the growth of the church isn't dependent on us. It's dependent on him. It's his job. He'll get the glory. We pray, we work, we sleep. It's your vision someday. As a visitor, can I suggest what my vision for Morden Road would be? My vision for Morden Road would be a people thrilled by the Lord Jesus, working and serving within his church, and then he grows it, and he gets the glory. Let me pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to think clearly about such things. Father, we look back over the years, we see people who've come to know you, maybe some of us in this room who've come to know you. And we praise you. Praise you for for you as the one who gives growth. And Father, as we look to the future, we simply express our dependence upon you. Lord, please help us to work to serve without ego for your glory. And then, Father, please, in this place, in Kidlington, in Vista, please, Father, won't you do what only you can do? Won't you save people? Won't you grow people? So that you get all the glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name.